Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Today is Tuesday, February 12, 2019, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 1, Bill's Story, on page 8, the first paragraph, which begins with, no words can tell. We will be reading and commenting on this one paragraph only, which ends with, alcohol was my master. Today's readers are Pam R., Elaine H., Sally P., Carmela G., and Nancy T. The share ID numbers for yesterday, Monday, February 11th, 2019's meetings are 12 529 for the 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting, that's 12529, and 12531 for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time meeting, that's 12531. OA Preamble Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome Everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. And a vision for you big book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Pam R. to read the OA 12 Steps. Good morning. This is Pam R. from Wilmington, North Carolina, reading the 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. 
Thank you and have a great day. I pass. Thank you, Pam R. I will now ask Elaine H. to read the OA 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Elaine H. These are the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, or in prestige divert us from our primary purpose. <clears throat> Excuse me. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Elaine H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 1, Bill's Story, on page 8, the first paragraph which begins with, No Words Can Tell. We will be reading and commenting on this one paragraph only, which ends with, Alcohol Was My Master. I will now ask Sally P. to go ahead and read that for us. Good morning. This is Sally P. Recovered in Colorado. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I met my match. I've been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. So this just continues to show the progression of Bill's disease. And um, I believe at this point in Bill's progression, it was many, many years ago where he got any pleasure from his drinking. I mean, he had to drink. Um, And that's how it was for me. Uh, One of my first signs of having an abnormal relationship with food, I was in kindergarten and I would dream and obsess about the chocolate cookies and milk they would serve right before nap time. 
So then fast forward into my 20s, I was literally mainlining sugar from the sugar bowl. I was practicing what I like to call skid row binging. And when you live in New York City, you can just walk 20 to 50 blocks and just hit one place after the next. Um, I believe that Bill needed to ingest every drop, ounce, bottle, and case of alcohol. He needed to be out of ideas before he could be open to receiving this message. And he got it in God's time, and then he gave it to us. Um, I, too, needed every crumb, bag, box, binge, diet, pill, laxative, self-help book. can't tell you how many times I joined Weight Watchers. I needed to be completely out of ideas. Um, I found my way in the early 80s and worked what I now realize was dieting with group support. Um, it was better than binging. Um, it was better than the binging I was doing, but I wasn't experiencing the happiness, the joy, and the freedom that this book talks about. I was a dry drunk. Um, it wasn't until I went to a treatment program where they literally took away my trigger foods and we opened this beautiful blue book of Alcoholics Anonymous and we dove into these steps. Uh, then they told me that if I didn't continue working these steps, I would eat again. And I, I seriously believe I don't have another recovery in me. So now it's been 15 months that I've been given the gift of complete abstinence. Um, further on, Bill talks about that fourth dimension um, being catapulted into it. I, I, I'm, I wasn't catapulted, but the blinds were opened. And for me, that means just a change in perception. I, I have been given a new pair of glasses, um, which has given me so many moments of happiness and joy and freedom that this book talks about. Um, I like me better, so then I like you better. And I now trust that everything that's happened in my life and continues to happen is leading me to a higher good in this world. And I could not have this attitude or feeling if I hadn't hit a really low bottom. And and anything above that bottom feels really joyful. So that's all I have to share. Thank you. Thank you, Sally P. So Sally just read the first paragraph on page eight in the big book. And if anyone who hasn't shared recently or ever would like to share, that's who I'm looking for first. And I'm going to try to stick to about five names if possible just to get us going. Who would that be? Katie S. from Boston. Dina S. Eileen B. Okay, I'm going to write down Eileen B. But did I hear a Gina S? Carmela S. Okay, Carmela S. No, no, someone else. It's Tina S. and Carmela G. Okay, thank you. Carmela G. Eileen B. Tina S. Who else hasn't shared in the past couple of days? Katie G. Katie G and Vasa O and Lisa H. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Thank you. I have Carmela G, Eileen B, Tina S, Katie G, Vasa O, and Lisa H. Carmela G, please go right ahead. Thank you so much. This is Carmela G from New York. Um, and I refrain from sharing, but this is really driving me this morning uh, because it took so, so long for 
me to admit I was powerless over food. I could not relate my honesty to myself. I I was so dishonest. I was would not admit I didn't have a power. I did not want to admit that food was my power. I practice a religion, but I had food. Food was my master, and I would not admit that. That was my dishonesty. And finally, when I realized that I was owned by the food, that is when I allowed my higher power that I call God to come into my life. And the loneliness and remorse for six decades, this substance was my master. Today, the gift of this program, working this program every single day, from the moment I open my eyes and surrendering without moving out of bed, this allows me a life beyond my wildest dreams. And with that, I will pass. Thanks, Carmela G. Eileen B. Eileen? Star one. Hi, this is Eileen. I'm sorry. Um, I am definitely a compulsive overeater. Um, I just started listening to you guys uh, a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine in another fellowship. I don't even know how we got talking about food, and I got talking about how I can't stop. And um, she uh, gave me, sent me an email with this information. So, um, you know, I just, uh, at this point, I, I don't quite even understand how it all works. You know, I've been sober for four and a half years, and I get how it works for alcohol. It's, I don't drink alcohol, but um, I just, uh, I feel very overwhelmed when that was that. Um, I feel overwhelmed by food. I, I can see as as I'm listening that people talk about food triggers and, and I can see what my triggers are, but I don't want to give them up. And so I just continue. I, I've tried every food um, plan known to man uh, from tops to Weight Watchers to Wheat Belly to paleo, to you name it, thinking that will be the answer, that will be the answer, and um, none of it has really worked. Um, my uh, AA sponsor doesn't believe I have a problem with food because I don't eat bread and I don't eat uh, grains, um, but uh, I still have, I can eat a half a chicken in the car on my way home. And so um, I'm just thankful that you guys are here. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Eileen B. Um, Before I call on Tina S., 
there's someone making noise in the background. Could you check your phones and make sure you're muted? Thank you. Tina S., go right ahead. Thanks so much, Rebecca. Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater Anorexic in Florida. Wow, heard some great stuff this morning and real grateful to be on the line. You know, one of the things that I love to hear is I cannot serve two masters. And, you know, when I am in the food, there is no way I I want anybody else around. Let me just tell you, uh, even though I would tell you I might, that's just not the case because I can't uh, and I won't. You know, one of the things that really, really catches me here is I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. You know, and that's the boggy ground. That's where I get, you know, and there's no coming out of that on my own. There just isn't. You know, I I love the last share. I tried everything before I got here many times, too, and hoping above all hope that, you know, certainly, you know, I didn't have to have this God thing. You know, that was my, my thoughts. But the bottom line is until until I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, I didn't have a shot. You know, I lived in step one for 20 years, you know, until I was able to set aside everything I thought I knew. You know, and I say this because it's the truth. What I think I know is going to kill me, does kill me, you know. And uh, and I came in here, too, with, you know, no place, like I said, no place else to go, but having just been totally beaten down. You know, um, and food didn't work for the longest time, just like alcohol didn't work for Bill for the longest time. I tried to make it work, and it didn't. And uh, finally, 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 when I heard also about, you know, because I came in through Alcoholics Anonymous too, so the booze wasn't so so much a problem for me then at that time. I was seven years sober, but I had to put that down first before I could deal with my core addiction, which is food, you know, until I heard about the people with whom the problem had been solved and was I willing to – do what they did, not just listen to what they said. Um, do I get a shot today to live a life beyond my wildest dreams? With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Great stuff. Thanks, Tina S. Katie G. Katie? Star one? Hi, Rebecca. Sorry, I double muted. Can you hear me now? Now I do. Yes, good morning. Sorry, double muting, trying to be careful. Okay, KDG recovered in Boston. Yeah, I just, um, I love this. I love this paragraph, um, the morass, which is an overwhelming, confusing mass. The quicksand, which gives me that idea of being drowned to death um, with sand and I'm fighting for my life. I've met my match. It's all this overwhelming and because food is my master. There is no food of choice for me. It's my food of no choice. When I put certain foods, ingredients, and behaviors in, into my life, like I take the bite and the bite takes me. Food dictates to me, this is where you're going. This is what you're doing. You know, and, and as a recovered woman today, like when food starts, um, the, the, the road narrows, as we have been talking about lately, and, and food can start to light up again. And it's like, oh, my gosh, is cheese my master? Is it all I'm thinking about? And, yeah, you're probably chuckling, but for this low-bottom food addict, i got to ask those questions. Is exercise my master? Who is dictating my life today? And foods, ingredients, and behaviors behaviors can take me. They'll take me down. I cannot fight. And I also have been taught, you know, what I worship is anything I'm thinking about. 
So my thinking becomes my master. As a recovered woman today, is my fear my master? Is my resentment my master? What is dominating my life today? Or is, is God, you know, and that's, I mean, being in this place and, you know, I know he has, I think maybe one or two insanities left, um, being in this place of falling face first down on my, down flat on my face is exactly where I need to be because I look at food, I think about exercise and the ingredients and I'm like, I'm KDG. What does that mean? Like, I've dieted my whole life. I've got everything else going for me, and yet I am, I am, I am drowning. I can't breathe. I can't think. I can't do anything. When I was coming out of relapse, it was like I don't know how to put one leg into another because uh, one leg into another pant. Like, I don't know how to put my pants on. Is what I'm trying to say. Nothing made sense. Nothing made sense. And thank you, God, for the people who surrounded me, and um, I love this image of getting down into the pit, right? We get them down into the pit with one another, and they can, you guys can give me a shovel, right, to get out of this mass of self-pity. You can give me a rope to get out of the quicksand, but I got to do the pulling, like, or God's doing the pulling, but you understand, like, I have to, I have to get out. Like, nobody's putting a gun to my head and putting that food in my mouth, and there's a lot of grit that I have to engage in to get out of relapse. And thank you, God, today, I can ask God to be the master of my thinking today, to think God's thoughts after him so that uh, eating is never a step up from what I think. And with that, I do pass. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you, Katie G. Vasa O. Yes, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Rebecca, for your service. And I'm Vasa, grateful, recovered, compulsive reader, calling from Florida. And yes, by the time I came to my first meeting, I had reached my bottom from food. I was, it, was, it was my master. Um, it was controlling me, the mental obsession, and it was going to kill me if I was not introduced to Overeaters Anonymous and given the big book and the 12 steps. I'm so grateful I was led to, uh, to my first meeting, and I was so grateful that I had a sponsor that 12-stepped me for about a week before she brought me to my first meeting. And I heard about the allergy. I had no clue uh, that I was allergic to, to sugars and flour. I mean, that was something new. And, uh, and she said, if we don't stop this stuff, it's just going to kill us. And it was. It was killing me gradually. And, uh, yes, I was very much willing to, to admit I was powerless over the food, and I was ready and willing to surrender to a power greater than myself, oh, God, or whatever you want to call it. I was just so ready and willing to do it. And it says in the big book, I can't do it any longer, and I will let you my higher power, and uh, please help me. And that was the beginning. It was just the beginning, but I've been doing this. You know, I took the action. I think for me the biggest action was to surrender, and that's when the help came, coming to the meetings, going through the steps, going to a higher power to get me through life as life uh, is laid out in front of me without running to the food and just to deal with life as it is. Thank you for letting me share in our past. Thanks, Vasa O. Lisa H. 
Good morning. This is Lisa H., grateful, recovered compulsive overeater in Tennessee. And just the line, alcohol was my master. Um, when I started working with a sponsor, she said, you know, put your, put your substance there. And, and so underneath alcohol, I have sugar. And sugar was my master. Um, that's all I knew from an early age. Um, that was my go-to. That was my, um, my source of ease and comfort, if you will. And, and it wasn't until um, someone introduced me to OA and um, I saw someone who said that they had been free from sugar for five years and were in a healthy body. And I thought, oh, is that possible? No, that's not possible, but that's what I want. Um, and I realized, you know, that sugar was my God. Um, I thought I had this great relationship with a higher power, but I was so completely blocked off by the sugar. Um, I, you know, again, like many, many people, I went to every, I went to the pay and way and I would come home and say to my husband, I'm so tired of hearing about food. All they talk about is food and nobody talks about this mental piece. So for the longest time I knew I had a mental obsession. It wasn't until um, I started seeking out more um, OA that I found this big book meeting. That's, that in this big book, you all were talking about having a, a, an allergy to the body and a, a mental obsession, this double whammy, and I'd never even heard of that before. Um, but then, you know, when someone said, you need to put down the sugar, and I, of course, that brought up, you know, someone on the line says, yeah, when you, when you get abstinent, you feel better. You feel, you feel resentment better and fear better. And boy, was I shot through with fear and resentment. Um, and it wasn't until I started working with someone in whom the problem had been solved um, that I started working these steps, like people say, with my, as my hair was on fire, because there was no way that I could away from the sugar um, without truly um, finding a higher power, uh, establishing a relationship with this higher power and with all of you, um, making outreach calls, you know, identifying in um, that I was able to keep the sugar down and, and, you know, thanks be to God, I'm coming up on four years of abstinence and, um, and I'm still listening to you all every day. I don't share as often as maybe I should, um, but having um having been through the steps having continuing to carry this message and talk to you all every day um sugar's not my master anymore and i found a higher power that i can connect with every day throughout the day um that keeps me sober and sane thanks for letting me share and i pass thank you lisa h so i just want to remind you that we read the first paragraph on page eight no words can tell through alcohol was my master. And who who hasn't shared in the past couple of days would like to share now? Okay, I heard Charles Larry. H. Julie I R. think I heard Larry. Leon. Larry and then M. I'm I'm Julie M, was it? Yes. Okay. Devora S. Julie M. Devora M. Laura Z. Barbara P. Larry K. I'll add Barbara and Larry and we'll stop there. Okay, Barbara and Larry. Okay, so I got 
Charles, Leon, Julie, Devora, Mora, Barbara, and Larry. Charles H., please go ahead. Thank you very much. You already said my name, so I ain't going to waste no time saying that. Um, so this, what really jumped out for me um, was this character named Daniel. Um, so Bill saying Fool was his master. So Fool was his master. This was the beginning of an opening of his mind not serving his master anymore. I mean, still indulging, but this was a breaking point. And this character, Daniel, that I, I'm going to quickly tell you about, he, he, he didn't serve his master even though he was in submission. That's, that was the opening that he, he confronted his master and said, you know what, I'm serving God. This is so bone-chilling. Like, um, the power of this big book and the power of God goes deep. At a point where um, you're drowning in something that you think you're really drowning in, but God is really using it to cleanse us at this point. So if you're a newcomer on the line and think you're drowning in food, welcome. Welcome to your disease. Welcome to your thinking. And that's all. I'm going to leave some time on the clock off this. Thanks, Charles H. Leon, and what's your initial? Oh, Leon B., I think. Did I not hear a Leon? Oh, darn it. Okay. I beg your pardon. Well, somebody whose name sounded like Leon. Sorry. Uh, Julie M., Hi, good morning. This is Julie M., recovered in Colorado. And, yeah, I alcohol was my master. There, there are several foods I could put into that place, and I let go of each of those foods in very different times, um, partially because I did not understand entire abstinence and partially because I was not willing. And... Seven years ago, I let go of sugar, and um, this was before I'd heard of a vision for you. And and I, rem- if I look back at my journals from that time, I was writing all about cheese and the meltiness and the creaminess. And and I asked my sponsor at that time. I told her, you know, sugar's down, but I was still getting up and you know binging on cheesy things and melty things and and she said she didn't think that, um, you know, you could have an addiction to cheese. And she was having me read all about the addictions to sugar. And so a couple of years later, when I started A Vision for You, I realized, oh, there are other things. And when I put down cheese, it was as painful as when I put down sugar. I can remember sitting out from my God is, is Mother Nature. And I remember sitting out in the woods and just crying and being so angry I've already let go of, you know, sugar. Now I've got, I've got to let go of dairy. And I was just furious. And I was so angry at my higher power. And I, I didn't let go of it for a while. I stayed in just complete, you know, resistance. And I finally did let go of that and then realized it wasn't dairy. It was high fat. So I can eat non-fat dairy, but I can't eat fried foods. So then it was a whole nother year or two of fighting about 
fried foods and not being willing to let go of chips and you know every each one of these along the way that I've had to let go of once I did it it was like wow why was I fighting so hard to keep that BS thing in my life that all it did was drive me crazy and want to kill me and now that I finally have all those foods down and I finally not only understand entire abstinence, but I'm willing to do it. Um, my life is so much more manageable and so much better. And I'm, I'm so grateful to a vision for you for, for really teaching me what entire abstinence is and giving me this, the way of going through the big book, which I never, ever understood before. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Julie M. Devorah S. Hi, good morning. Thank you, Rebecca, and everyone on the line that makes this possible. My name is Devorah Hess, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. This paragraph to me says it all. Um, it just tells me what kind of state of body and mind I was in. I was overwhelmed. Who became my master? I was, um, to me, I was in this dark, lonely pit trying to climb out with no tools, no survival, um, no survival kit. I just had nothing, and I had, and I, and I was very overwhelmed. Um, you know, I didn't have to put down the sugar because I came in, I was diabetic, and I knew that I couldn't eat sugar. But how about all the kinds of packets that are out there, the pink packets, the blue packets, the yellow packets, the green packets, whatever kind of sugar substitute there was, I was sprinkling it on everything um, because you know, how can I eat a salad without something sweet? You know, it was just impossible. So I had to put that down. I had to put down large quantities, like, you know, large quantities of protein, because I thought, oh, if it's not a carbohydrate, then I can eat large quantities of this, it's okay. So there I was, you know, eating these masses of amounts, you know, if they told me four ounces is a, is a normal amount, I, I was coming from eating, you know, a turkey would have been an amount that I was able to eat, you know, in my head. So you know, I had to really surrender and get good and desperate. You know, this is a good place to be if you're wondering, like, am I ever going to get out of there? This is where, this is where, you know, so the desperation, when they talk about the gift of desperation, this is it. This is how I felt, you know, coming and crawling into these rooms saying, I just, whatever it is that I need to do, you know, tell me. I'll, ha I'll eat hay. If my sponsor told me to eat hay three times a day, then I'll do it. I was so willing and desperate and overwhelmed. But how about being like in that situation in program? You know, there I was in a thin body, having lost 150 pounds already, healthy body weight, sugars under control, and still feeling overwhelmed because I wasn't working a spiritual program. And that's when the real work began. Um, I cracked open this book and started following the directions in here and following it and developing a relationship with God um, and, it, and it progresses each day. Every day I need to be working on that um, because that's what's going to keep me in a, in, a, in, a, in a sane mindset, you know, turning myself and my will over to the, to, to the care of God each day, recognizing that there is a God, that he is my higher power and not the tools of the program and not the scale and not the gym and not the exercise and not all this stuff, but turning over 
that, you know, God has my back and God knows what's good for me and, and, and that he's there for me and wants the best for me. Um, and that whatever happens in my life, it's all from God. You know, that was a whole new mindset that I had to learn here in this program. So I'm just so grateful to be coming home here today, each day, and, um, and spending it with you for this time. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Devorah S. Maura Z. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you so very much for your service. And I'm starting my timer. Bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. There were so many things that were my master. But food was definitely the key. The self-pity that I was living in before I came to program was just was just ridiculous. It was, I hate everybody. I'm angry all the time. My life sucks. You know, if my husband would love me, if, if this would happen, if that would happen, my life would be great. And, and all the time blaming everything outside of myself and looking outside of myself to find peace. I wish I had known earlier, but then again, this was the path that God put me on. So I had to go through all of that. I had to go through all of the pain ways, all of the self-help books, as was mentioned by a previous sharer. I had to go through all of those things. I had to go through the pain of the self-loathing and the self-pity and the and the just sitting alone with my bags and my boxes at night in the dark, you know, it was just despair. It was just hopelessness. Food was my master. I remember fighting with a sponsor. Um, I had to travel by train. I forgot to pack my food, so I had a hot dog on the train, and I told her about it. And she said, well, you've broken your abstinence because you don't have, I don't know what it was. Oh, I didn't weigh and measure it. That's what it was because I didn't weigh and measure it. I had broken my abstinence. I was yelling at this dear woman on the phone telling her, well, I had no other choice. I had to eat this. Not even realizing at the time that I was fighting over food. How sad. How very sad. How very grateful I am today that is not my life. If you're new and you're struggling and you don't want to let go of what you don't want to let go of, I promise if you try this program and you work it honestly and diligently, you can have a better life. But I also promise that if you don't want to do it this way, you can have your old life back too, very easily. Please. Choose life. Choose OA. Stick around until the miracle happens. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Maura Z. Barbara, I didn't catch your first initial of your last name. Hi, good morning. It's Barbara P., like Peter, in Atlanta. And, yeah, this I love this paragraph. Um, I remember when I came in, the loneliness and despair, and I had no idea what was happening to me, 
I didn't know why I was feeling that. I just knew I was in over my head and, and I found OA. But then also the quicksand. Um, and more recently, coming out of a relapse last year, that quicksand analogy was so beautiful for me because I could really feel it. I could see it around me and I was sinking. And now I had a head full of program, but I still, I just, I was as baffled. It had snuck up on me completely. This mental twist had completely gotten me. And quicksand did stretch all around me. And the thing I love about that visual, I love visuals, and the thing I really love about this one is that someone pointed out to me with quicksand, the more I fight, the more I sink. You have got to have somebody throw you a rope. You, you can't get yourself out of quicksand. And I so wanted to. I wanted to find a way out. I wanted to be able to control this. But like Bill, I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. I felt like there were lots of things I had done successfully, but I had to give up. There was no way I was ever going to do food successfully in my mind uh, and eat like a normal person. And then the strange part is in giving up. Now today, I eat what would be like a normal person. Um, but I had to, I had to meet my match and I really had to be overwhelmed and I really had to acknowledge that food had me. I had to throw up the white flag. And I feel like by the grace of God only, I have done that. And for today, I throw up that, that white, white flag. Um, innocent little food will kick my butt every single time. So for today, not there and very grateful to vision. Thanks and I pass. Thanks, Barbara P. Larry K. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your service. Um, you know, so here, here, Bill is. He, um, you know, he he has not. Um, he's starting to get an awareness. He's starting to 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 acknowledge. It's kind of like steps step one, where you begin. It's an acknowledgement. Uh, it's a conclusion of the mind, and he's getting there. It's ironic to me that this man who's where quicksand is stretched all around and food is his master would later write the instructions for step one. It wasn't pages and pages of instructions. He said it very, very succinctly, brevity. He said on page 30, we had to concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholic. We had to, that's, that's, this is the instruction for step one. Bill will prove that he has conceded nothing, even though he's in the process maybe of drawing a conclusion to mind. And how do we know that? We'll find out in the next chapter, because to concede to our innermost self is done in action, not in thinking. In other words, when one puts the, the food down or the alcohol down, the substance, the behavior down, that is when one concedes to their innermost self. Not, not it, because we can, wouldn't you agree that we can acknowledge again and again? That's what we do. We acknowledge over and over. Yes, it's a problem. Yes, it's my master. Yes, I see that I can't be without it. I love reading books. They're not my master. They never were. They have no, they don't dominate my life. If I read a great book, I can't, I, I could put that book down and not think about it. It's, very, it's just natural. Then I'd pick it up. Not food. See, Bill later learned the, be the beauty of the duality of letting go in the midst of taking action. There's a paradox. We let go 
in the midst of taking action. Letting go and taking action are not mutually exclusive. They dance together. There's a, there's a dance between letting go and taking action. By putting the food down, you're, you're beginning the process, the first vestiges of letting go. And there's a tapestry of both letting go and taking action that leads to change. That's what this whole program is about, isn't it? It's about change. It's like just under the surface of uh, like a raging sea. Picture a raging sea. Deep under the sea, there's a calm, peaceful environment, but we don't see it from, from a boat. We have fear of that raging sea, but there's, there's calm beneath the storm. There's a duality. There's paradoxes in this program. First thing I got to do, Bill will eventually, the disease perhaps, the consequences of such, will convince him to concede by taking action and putting the food down. And then he's going to get, there's my timer, then he's going to get really uncomfortable. He's going to have to, you know, some of us have to white knuckle for a time while we work the, the program of action. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry Kay. I think we can hear about four, three or four more people on first paragraph on page eight. Who would that be? Nancy H. Leah M. Nancy H. Okay, okay, wait a minute. Julie, Madeline Nancy, R. Uh, Leah, and Janice. Nancy P. Nancy, Leah, and Janice. And that's all we'll have time for, if that. So, Julie, go right ahead. Hi, thanks, Rebecca. Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. You know, I have this paragraph uh, highlighted, uh, underlined everything, because that's where I lived for so many years. There's, I mean, he explains it so clear, you know, the bitter morass of self-pity. I mean, I would wake up and I would eat again. I'd go to bed thinking of what I ate all day. And I would have that resolved. And I'd get up and it was just, I said, forget it. I'm not even going to try because I couldn't even get a few hours. You know, I was 303 pounds. I'm five foot two. I couldn't fit in seats. I was an embarrassment, I know, to certain people. I um, I felt bad for my kids because I was always the fattest football mom. Um, I'd walk in and everybody was younger, too, because I had my kids older. But I was so huge. I waddled. It was, and no matter what I did, I still tried to, to look presentable. But inside, I was dying each and every day. And... The quicksand, yeah, it was all around me. I felt that I was being pulled under with every breath I took. And, you know, I can fast forward to where I am today. Yeah, I'm in a normal body size, which is great. But um, what's in my heart, what has changed, that is the whole thing about what these steps do. I mean, we are transformed. You know, I don't have quicksand around me anymore. I'm neutral with the food. I, you know, yeah, I weigh and measure all of my food because that's what I do. But I don't worry about, you know, did I eat too much abstinent food or not enough? You know, I have a food plan, but but I have been rocketed, yeah, into that fourth dimension. I am um, not a ma- food is not my master. I bake. I go to buffets. I bring my scale. I have abstinent foods. I go to weddings. I help participate in cooking at events because it's not my master anymore. Whereas before my whole life was was consumed about how am I going to get more? 
Did anybody see me get more? How am I going to hide enough food to get me through the day to where I am today? It's like, yeah, I eat five times a day and that's it. I don't have to think about it anymore. Um, But it's the freedom. It's the less judgment. It's the less control. All of those things were all in that quicksand. And um, it's pretty exciting to be able to, um, to live in hell and then to be able to walk a free woman when it comes to, um, to several things in my life. So if you're a newcomer and you're in that uh, bitter morass of self-pity in the quicksand, you know what? Let somebody throw you a rope because this program pulls you out. Thanks, Puff. Thank you, Julie. R. Nancy, and the first initial, please. Can you hear me? Is this Nancy? Yes, Nancy H. Hi, Nancy H. Go ahead. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. I'm Nancy H. I'm a recovered compulsive overreader from Massachusetts. Um, This paragraph means a lot to me because it wasn't all that long ago that I was binging my brains out. And what I was doing was uh, telling myself that I would get a little bit of the food, just the food that I liked, and narrow it down to that. But my carriage would be full at the end of my shopping trip because there were so many things I liked. And each piece of sugar that I put in my mouth made me less manageable and less able to stop. (laughs) Excuse me. And now um, I have that freedom from the obsession. I'm not in that morass of self-pity anymore because I'm not a victim. I felt like a victim and I felt like, you know, I didn't want this disease anymore. I would say, I told my priest one day, I've had this for 70 years and I don't want to keep it anymore. I don't want it. And all of those things were when I was unclear about what I had to do. So now that I've surrendered, um, I'm completely a different person again. And um, I'm hoping that it was my last binge, but you never know. Um, I'm starting to get the promises of the program again. I'm starting to realize what, what it's like to have complete surrender to God for everything in my life, not just my, my food. And I'm living guilt-free, and I feel really great. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing, Nancy H. Leah M. Thank you. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I love this paragraph. You know, the thing about quicksand, if you're in it, you must be rescued from it, as has been said. And, uh, you know, step one, it's not a feel-good step. It's not a pretty step because the purpose of it is to empty out any residual notion that I actually have any power within myself to help myself. We surrender 100%. You know, 98% surrendered is as good as 98% almost recovered, which isn't recovered at all. You know, (laughs) I was crushed by this illness like Bill is getting crushed by his illness. I was hopeless, doomed based on my own personal experience. I had to concede to my own innermost self that I had no power. And that was based on my own personal experience, my own pain, excruciating pain, mental torture, emotional turmoil that, you know, that I found deep inside of myself in a pit of personal powerlessness, quicksand. You know, and it, this, this step is the launching pad 
It becomes the launching pad of desperation to seek and find power. It all began for me by getting crushed by this illness. It wasn't pretty. There's no virtue in it. It was excruciating pain, you know, and realizing there was no door number three. Either I had to give it up, you know, food, my thinking, my ideas, my attitudes, give it up, or else there was disease. That was it. There was no third option, and that became very, 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 very clear. I had to admit utter defeat because unless I humbled myself by taking step one and admitting 100% powerlessness, I'm done, I'm through, I don't know what God is, I don't know who he is, I've never met him before, don't know anything about him. But unless I realize that I am done, finished, then I don't need the rest of the program because if I think I have power over food or over this disease, then I don't need to believe in a power greater than myself, which will restore me to sanity. Therefore, I don't have the urgency of the steps. Because when we say we're powerless over food, what that really means is, yes, there are consequences to eating. Of course there are. (laughs) But even after compulsive overeating, even after all its damage, its medical consequences, its turmoil, the illness, even after everything is explained to you in excruciating detail on this very line, you still go out and take that first bite. That's the real problem. We have no mental defense. There is no way out. (laughs) That's the message here. There's no way out. You're cornered. At least I was. I had to realize that the only way to conquer this illness was a spiritual experience. And with that, I'm done. Thank you. Thank you, Leah M. Janice B. You'll be our last person to share. Good morning, visionaries. This is Janice B. in Vermont, compulsive overeater. When I read this paragraph this morning, what stuck out for me was self-pity, self-pity. And, um, yeah, when I, when, when food was running the show, I had to admit that food was, had me, it was running the show. It wasn't just food that was running the show though. It was like my, my disease, my disease, my dis-ease was running the show. Um, I had the physical craving and the obsessive compulsive behavior stuffing myself and couldn't stop. But something else was triggered also there. It was this deep self-hatred for myself that, uh, and, and me trying to control and manage that the food, um, and over and over again, I could not do it and was so disappointed in, in who I was. Uh, and, and the more I tried, the more I screwed myself into the ground. Until, and, and, and it was like, it, was, it doesn't work. You know, I had to admit, I can't do it. I can't do it. And so, and so, so that's the honesty. The principle of step one is, is honesty, but the principle of step two is hope. And how do I get that hope? Where does it come from? It's like, it's, it's, 
what I was doing with, with food, I was being self-destructive. I was eating with such a vengeance that, that, that it, was not, it was so totally disrespectful to myself and so totally unloving. And, and I, I saw that the hope for me was to, to practice self-respect and to practice being loving. And love is a verb, and um, and and grace gives me gave me the willingness to start practicing being loving to myself, and um, and not giving up on myself, and um, and and just surrendering to it is such a disease, and it's been a lifetime process to get me where it in that state um it's been cumulative and um and i'm so grateful for the 12 steps and um and with that i'll pass thank you thank you janice b thank you to everyone for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service the share ID number for this meeting, Tuesday, February 11th, 2019, 7 a.m. Eastern Time is 12534. That's 12534. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Carmela G. please read A Vision for You, our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Yes, thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.